Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Dottillo Coster. Today, I'm joined by Sanjana Sharma, founder and designer of Lucy Kitty Jewelry. She first started her business from the corner of her bedroom, and like most first-time e-commerce entrepreneurs, she thought, if I build it, they will come. Luckily, it didn't take her too long to figure out how that wasn't at all the case, and she took the plunge into in-person shows. While that was exhausting and backbreaking work, it really helped her build the foundation of her business and understand what her customer needs and why they love her jewelry. This growth hasn't come without its challenges, though, and she's made plenty of mistakes along the way, just like the rest of us. What really impresses me about her, though, is the way she takes in information and just gets down to business with a plan on how to execute it. And seeing her really get into the groove of her business has been super rewarding. Tune in to hear how she's navigated all of this while still working a full-time job, what is coming up and how she's refocusing her business now, and how she's carving out her space in the jewelry market. All right, I'll stop yammering on and let her share her story. Welcome to the show, Sanjana. How you doing? It's nice to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Before we dive into the process and the big pivot you're going through in your business right now, can you just tell us a little bit about why you even started this business in the first place and why jewelry? For sure. So I have been interested in jewelry, making jewelry, learning different techniques, all of that since I was like 14 years old. It's always been a part of my artistic crafting thing. And over the years, I picked up different techniques and all of that. And I'd always make jewelry for people close to me, friends, family, all that sort of thing. And I would noticed recurring problems that people would always come to me with. Some piece that they loved would tarnish and they'd be like, can you fix it? Or if something would break because it was made in a bad way, they'd come to me and they'd be like, can you fix it? And I'd started noticing these problems that people would have again and again and again. And a lot of them I couldn't fix because the piece itself wasn't made in a very good way or was made with subpar materials. It wasn't really made with longevity in mind. And there was a lot of heartbreak surrounding these things because some maybe somebody had gifted it to them and it was a special thing. And now they're like, oh, I can't wear it anymore because it turns my skin green because it's tarnishing all of these sorts of problems. I'm like, why do we just universally accept this as the standard. Unless you are willing to invest $300 in a solid gold necklace, the other option is shitty jewelry that won't last you more than three months. And why is that okay? Especially with something like jewelry that has such sentimentality attached to it that people want to keep in their spheres for a long period of time. So I started Lucy Kitty to raise the bar in the industry. I'm not okay with the fact that this is our baseline. The bar is on the floor. 
we are super particular about using high quality materials, materials like gold fill that are a lot, lot better than something like gold plated that will still tarnish on you over time, but at the same time is more accessible. It does not require the investment that solid gold jewelry requires. You're not stuck thinking three times before buying it because it's so inaccessible. The other thing being that with jewelry like solid gold, even if you are willing to make that investment because the people designing this stuff are thinking with like extreme longevity in mind, the designs are very boring, but they're very old style. And while we're not trendy jewelry, it's still up to date. It's not like designs that were like popular in the 50s and that's all your options. So a couple of different reasons we started this. And overall, in terms of long-term usage, accessibility for people who have unique problems with jewelry and there just isn't solutions for those things. We could talk a little bit more about that. Just trying to overall raise the bar with what we do with jewelry. I love that. It's such a good testament to there is literally room for everybody. And you are certainly not the first jewelry maker. You're not going to be the last, but you have sort of carved out your little spot in the space. And it's just been really fun to watch what you're doing and how the business is evolving and growing. Because I know that you are kind of going through a pivot right now from more of an in-person business to really trying to make this online thing work. So can you just tell us a little bit about what your business has looked like before and where you're trying to go now? So in the early days when I was just starting the business, I started on e-commerce. The first thing I did was make a Shopify store. And I was like, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have like a cool jewelry website. People are going to do like online checkouts. I was operating under the assumption that I think a lot of new entrepreneurs with like no experience do, where it's like build it and they will come. And I launched the site and it was crickets. So waking up to that sort of rude awakening or sudden realization, I was like, okay, how do I get the word out there? How do I like start to reach my people, especially as someone who's like starting out completely new in this space? And the way that I discovered to do that was pop-ups collaborating with local businesses and popping up in their stores and like talking to their audiences, doing local markets, things like that. And this was January or February of 2022. So as winter started to turn into summer, these opportunities just ramped way up. And I took on every single opportunity I could find because I was like, this is fantastic. People discover me at pop-ups. We make a lot of great sales. Um, I have fantastic conversations with the customers. Our pieces are iterating at a really good pace because we're having those conversations and learning what the customers want and all of that. So it was just awesome. And I got lost in that sort of pace and I completely neglected the online side of things. So I didn't upload our latest pieces. I didn't bother taking pictures for e-commerce. I didn't write product descriptions. I just completely neglected the e-commerce as if it didn't exist. And every time I would be at a pop-up and people would ask me about it, I'd give them a card. I'd send them to the website, but there was nothing to see there, which was a mistake. But anyways, it was like, do the pop-ups really, really well and make a bunch of sales or go out and do the e-commerce, not know as the sales are going to come, whatever. So I didn't do that, which looking back was a mistake, but at the same time, I was killer busy. So I know why it happened. And by the time that summer turned to fall, even though 2022 was a fantastic year, I was getting super burnt out because as anybody who's done pop-ups or markets or whatnot knows that it is hard work. It is back-breaking work. And 
you're just immensely tired at the end of it. And I was like, this is not sustainable because not only do I not see this being a really great scalable thing for me, I don't want my life to look like this. And I jumped in with e-commerce in mind. I wanted to build that. I just kind of got distracted along the way slash didn't really know how to do the online side of marketing. So I went this route because it seemed like a great marketing opportunity. And in the midst of all this craziness, we also moved cities. We moved from Columbus, Ohio to San Diego, California, thanks to my fiance's job. And that was another thing where all these local connections and whatnot for popping up in person that I had made in Columbus, Ohio were kind of unusable. And then I was discovering like how the audience that goes to markets is different in San Diego versus in Columbus. What is the nature of these pop-ups? How do people function? So it changes your profit markup. So all of these things, um, discovering them along the way and coming back to the e-commerce side of it, because that's what I wanted to do in the first place. And I wanted to grow up really well. So that's been the interesting pivot is figuring out how to ramp down the in-person, how to ramp up the online. And at the same time, there are things about in-person that I love that I don't want to give up. I love connecting with people in person. I love the sort of like product iteration that you can do in real time with customers. I haven't been able to figure out a way to just capture that in the same way online. And I really want to open stores for our jewelry. I didn't know that. Absolutely. I want to have like a store on every coast, but I want us to be a thriving e-commerce business, but I don't want us to just exist in that sphere. When I think about the in-person presence, I want it to be fully there. I want to have stores and figuring out how to do that and learning all the things that come with e-commerce side of marketing, the emails and all of that, which was completely new to me. So that's been really, really interesting. And it's still an ongoing journey. I just said I had no idea you wanted to do the brick and mortar thing. 100%. Let's chat about that because that's a whole other beast. But when you were doing all of these pop-ups in the beginning, were you collecting and growing your email list? Two things happened. So early, early days, I wasn't collecting emails because I didn't know that I needed to. So absolute early days, that was what was going on. Around halfway through the summer that I'm talking about, I started listening to podcasts like yours and hearing more stuff and learning in this realm. And I was like, I need to do this and I need to do that. But I knew how overworked I was and how busy I was. And I didn't really have the time to set up post-purchase sequences and do all of that. So I was like, let me just start collecting. Worst case scenario, these guys don't hear from me until I have time to set it up five months down the line or whatnot. And they've completely forgotten who I am because they either saw me once and never saw me again. That's the worst case scenario. But at least I will have their emails so that when I do set this stuff up, I'll have a starting point. So that's what I started doing. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think we set up anything meaningful until I actually came to San Diego, which was last year in October. But that's how it went. And you know what? That's how it goes for a lot of people. So don't shame yourself for that. I had a conversation with someone. It's either she's been in business 10 or 15 years. She's only been really focused on email for the last few. She's got an in-person presence and an online presence. She's like, all of this time, I wasn't doing this. Like, it was so dumb. But you know what? It happens to everyone. You just need to keep moving forward. You're doing it now. You learned. It is what it is. So you're not alone in that. But Listener, if you are not collecting emails yet, just collect the damn emails. 
in person is a really great place to do that. And there are going to be some people who are just like, they don't care. They're super busy. They're just here to get their stuff and they want to leave. But there are going to be the other customers who fall in love with what you do and who you are. And they're so excited to hear your story and they really want to support you. And if you give them a good reason to get on that list, they will. Then the trick is you have to actually email them, which I know you're doing now and you start implementing a lot of that stuff. Are you doing any pop-ups now still? Yes. So I have gotten very selective with it. There's a few places in San Diego that I've got great collaborations with now or done pop-ups with them in the past. And those organizers, we have a great relationship. They do really awesome events. So then when they do an event again, I'll join in. I'll do things like that. And I'm doing more now because it's the holiday season and there's a lot of great ones going on. But even then, I mean, there's one happening every other day and I'm not saying yes to all of them for a very specific reason. Because when I do them, I want to do them really well. And I want to make sure that the side of it that I'm trying to grow, the e-commerce marketing side of it does get my attention. Because when you do a pop-up, anybody who's done one knows that it's not just the five hours or whatever that you're standing there, that is the time that that pop-up takes. It's the recovery period afterwards. And it's all of the making of a whole lot of product beforehand. And it takes up a week of your time and brain space that you're not giving to other things. It is a lot. But I think in the beginning, you have to be scrappy and you do all the things, you figure out what works, and then you start to trim it down after. And then as you grow, you become more and more selective over time. But those in-person experiences, like if you can't have a brick and mortar and you're not doing wholesale and you can't do a trunk show at one of your retailers, the pop-up is the thing that gets you the in-person experience. And there's just really no better way to connect, get feedback and get some cash in your pocket all in one shot. 100%. It's especially the feedback and connection part of it. And one of my favorite things that we do with our jewelry is that we will collaborate with customers. So because we have such a design your own aspect to our jewelry as well, and that is very popular, people will come up with combinations of whatnot that I haven't thought of. And I'm like, oh, that's lovely. And we'll start offering that as a product inspired by something that someone made. And guess what? Other people like it too. But we never would have chanced upon that golden nugget if we hadn't turned up in person, if we hadn't had a great conversation with somebody, if someone hadn't had the chance to hold things in their hands and make something from scratch. And that is the reason kind of that I want to have brick and mortar someday because I want to have those sorts of stops where people can go and do that because it's a lot of fun for everyone involved. That's super fun. You're making everything right now, right? Yeah, everything is handmade by me right now. So what does the future of that look like for you? Because it's obviously not sustainable forever. So what I have started to do, and right now this only exists in my mind, but I have started to do it, is systematize the way that I produce things. So there are certain pieces where certain part of the system is the same, and then there's certain part of it that's different for the different pieces. And I feel like I'm getting to a point where I've got enough consistency between certain products that I can document the process. So it is possible for me over time, document more and more of these things and hand them off to someone who has the sort of same jewelry assembly skills 
And over time, I do want to build an in-house production team that helps me produce these pieces. And some of them are more complicated than others. So there are definitely ones that I know once I start handing some part of this off, what are the pieces I will start with? Because the production is less complicated and I'll hold on to the ones that are more complicated until I figured out how to help someone understand how to do these easier pieces and then hand them more of the complicated ones. So I don't literally have it written down, but I know what pieces I would do first and all of that. But that's what the future looks like, especially with the design your own stuff. Once somebody designs it in person, it kind of needs to be assembled then. So there's an aspect to not just someone helping me produce ahead of time, but also being there at a pop-up, at a brick and mortar, whatever it is, whenever the e-commerce side of it isn't going on to produce it then, that's very important. So I'm actually experiencing a little bit of that right now because there's this huge festival that happens Christmas time in San Diego called December Nights. We did that last year and it was fantastic. And this time we're going back with the double size booth and it's going to be really cool. And I'm taking learnings from last year, what worked, what did it, and kind of 2.0-ing that this year. But one of the biggest things that was a problem last year is I was the one doing all of the assembly. We had loads of design your own orders. So I broke my back over the two days of that festival, which I don't want to do right now. I think I caused a couple of things. It, it was very fatiguing. But at the same time, because I was so in the weeds with this, I didn't have the chance to observe what was going well, what was not going well and make on the spot improvements like I would like to do this year. So I'm looking for help. But then that person needs to be able to do things like on the fly in the same kind of real time pace that I do. That's hard. But that is going to continue to be a thing. So I'm like trying not to shy away from biting the bullet and doing that. You'll definitely have to find that person. Do you have any design schools or anything near you? I'm actually going to reach out to a couple of jewelry schools that are near me or the places that have jewelry classes, just because I think there might be students or even instructors over there who would have the kind of base skill set that's necessary and the rest of the documentation for our pieces specifically, I would provide them then. I think that's probably the easiest direction for you to go. Otherwise, I would get the front of house person who's really great with people and can share your story and all of that. And then you continue to make the jewelry. That's the other option. So you'll figure it out, though. Yeah, I like option one more. Absolutely. What is your background? What were you doing before you were doing jewelry? Because one of the things... I'm still doing it. Okay, <laughs> so... You are, I don't know the word that I'm looking for, but I remember one of the first calls that I think it was one of our monthly Q&A calls in the lounge and you were implementing the product launch process for the first time. And I remember you just kind of coming to us and being like, okay, so I'm doing this, 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 and this. And you really just needed the thumbs up to say, Yes, you understood that course correctly and you are implementing it correctly. Where does that come from? You seem to just have it all figured out all the time. Well, I'm glad it appears that way because it's definitely not. <laughs> but I don't know. That doesn't, I don't think I'm professionally. I think that's just a personality trait. I'm pretty meticulous. It does come through with the jewelry making stuff as well. And I actually, sometimes I can go overboard with it and I think I'm going to have to dial it back a little bit for when I have someone like helping me assemble because I'm very particular with how we make things. But the thing is, I think part of it also comes from a habit in directing. So I am an art director by profession and I work in the advertising commercial space. 
specializing in animation and design. So I went to animation and design school. That's what my degree is in. That's the industry that I've been working in. And I started out as a designer and animator, and I've worked my way up an art director now. And so my day job involves me directing animators and artists and designers to create animated commercials and that sort of video work. So it involves a lot of wrangling different team members with different skill sets, with different personalities and all of that. And you can't really run an engine like that without knowing what all the parts and pieces look like and being pretty particular about making sure that what we plan to make in the beginning is what actually got made in the end. So I think a little bit of that also comes in. It will serve you very well as you start to build out a design team or a doer team. I think you're right, though. A lot of that comes from either you're really good at that or you're not. And it's kind of a hard thing to learn or to teach. So that makes more sense because from day one, I was like, this girl, she's got it. She knows what she's (laughs) doing already. So you're still working the day job. I am. How are you balancing all the things? Well, I've always been a little bit of an information gathering nerd. So I'll just learn endlessly. So if I pick up a good way to do something that helps me accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish, I will like jump in it head first. And that is especially true right now with, I don't know what to call it, except productivity. So I love like the second brain system. I don't know if I'm doing it exactly in the way that people talk about it, but it's this idea that like my mind is for having ideas and for executing on those ideas, not for remembering stuff. So The moment, like if I've thought of an idea, I write it down. I've got a system depending on what kind of thing it is. If it's like a little task, it goes into this tool. If it's like a longer concept, whatever, and I want to reference it later, it goes into this tool and those sorts of things. Because say if you were to tell me like, hey, let's meet next Wednesday at four o'clock, I will forget by the next hour. I will not remember it. My mind is a sieve and like my mom has got a similar thing. So I think it's a little bit of that. But also I've got too much cooking around up here to also process that information. So considering that I can outsource those things to software, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And that makes it really easy for me because when I am referencing things, I'm like, what do I have to do on Thursday next week rather than trying to rack my mind? And I also have this feeling that tends to come up for me where it's like, oh, shit, am I forgetting something? Like, I swear I'm forgetting something and I hate that feeling. So that's my way of also tamping down on that. And it allows me the brain space I feel I need to execute when I'm in executing mode and ideate when I'm in ideating mode, because those things I don't think I can give to anybody else. You are the idea person for sure. You're the visionary, as they say. Absolutely. And like you have your best ideas in flow states, like while you're on the treadmill or in the shower or something like that, like you're doing something completely different. You're like, oh my God, I just had the best idea of my life for this business. But I'm not in a situation where I can like really write it down. So I'll be like coming out of the shower and like writing down a billion things before they disappear. So it's great to have a system like that where I know when I'm referring to that later. That's where I can go. I did exactly this for like the December nights festival that we're doing this year. I woke up one day and had like a billion great ideas for this festival in June, very far away from December. And I sketched and I wrote and I just threw up this entire plan for this festival. And that's what I did. I was super overwhelmed. 
last month with so many things going on. And I'm glad I didn't leave it until October to do that work. I had that already to reference and the golden ideas I had earlier, I could use right now and build upon them. So I highly recommend to anybody who wants to free up some bank space. I think that's so important. I was just talking with Diana, who is also in the lounge. I know you guys connected about your Southern California local pop-ups. She was like, I thought I was so ready for Q4 until it actually came around. And now I feel super behind. She's like, can we talk about it in June? And I'm like, we should be. That's when we do it in corporate. I said, but most small businesses are not ready to think about it then. So here is your other reminder that you do need to start thinking about these things earlier. You don't have to take action on them. You just come up with the plan, the idea, document it, and then you can move on. But it will serve you so well later on. And I think that's just doesn't even have to be Q4. It's just like everything in business. Everything takes us longer than we think it's going to take us to do. We put stuff off. We all have our own reasons why we do that. And it really does just come to bite us in the ass later on. It's true. And like one of the biggest things that I did last year that I'm grateful to pass Sanjana for doing is when I was in the throes of Q4 last year, things that I was like, oh, I wish we'd done this or I wish we'd done this better. I wrote it down then. I was in it then. If you asked me to come up with that stuff last May, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. I wasn't in that environment anymore. But having that insight written down somewhere and referenceable in today's Q4 is just like, oh, that's right. I did have that learning then. Great. Let me go implement it now and not make the same mistakes I did last year. Absolutely. That should definitely be a part of any big campaign you do, whatever it is for your business. It's going to be Q4. Maybe it's Valentine's Day for you, Mother's Day, Father's, whatever it is. Right afterwards is when I recommend that you think through what worked well, what didn't, what you want to do again, what you don't want to do again. I call it a campaign postmortem. I'll put a link in the show notes to a podcast episode where I talk about it. The numbers piece. You can go back and get that whenever. It's going to be in your e-commerce platform. It's going to be in Google Analytics. Well, remember now with GA4, it's only going to maintain data for, I think it's 16 months. So you should get your numbers out of there right away now. But the non-tangible things, the non-data things are the things that you will not remember. So definitely make sure that you write it all down. The trick too, though, because I have a lot of documents of brain dumps and things like that, is you actually have to go back and look at them. So be better than me. <laughs> Organize them in a way that's easier for you to go back and reference. Just saying. Definitely make it referenceable. Think about how you would consume it in the future and make sure that it lives in that sort of format. If I have something that I want to know that I'm going to want access to in August next year or like be reminded of, I'll put it in something like Asana and I'll tell it to be a task for August 15th. And when I'm actually in August 15th, 2024, it will remind me of that. I'm like, oh, that's right. Because I will not remember then to go and pull out a Google Doc. So thinking about what is the situation in which I will want to use this brain dump that I am doing right now. That's really smart. I've literally never thought of doing that. Try it. I highly recommend. What a simple idea. Oh, thank you for that. Let's talk a little bit 
about the lounge because you've been in there for a long time. I don't even really remember when you joined and it's been lovely having you. And it's really fun to watch the way you just sort of soak up the information and then just do the things, which we've learned is just kind of part of your personality. But what do you think has been the most eye-opening, the most valuable, or what do you love about the lounge the most? I'd say there are two things that I find really amazing that I haven't really seen in other places either is one, the knowledge of having access to what you don't know because you don't know what you don't know. As a first-time business owner, I didn't know that I need to do email marketing. I didn't know what Google Analytics was really. If you said the term Google Analytics, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense that Google has some sort of analytics thing. But how is it applicable to me as a business owner? What do I need to set up on the back end? The fact that I need to even set up anything on the back end. Those things, I don't know what I don't know. And so having access to a framework like Lounge where I'm like, oh, okay, these are some great things that I should be keeping in mind. And whether I'm ready for them now or I'm ready for them next year, like, okay, this is something that needs doing. One is that. And second, easy reference. If I am going to go and set up my post-purchase sequence, I know that I can drop into the lounge and I can probably go into email marketing and whatnot and find a great starting point for that. Because what I've realized over time about myself is I really struggle being in front of a blank sheet with a cursor blinking at me. It is my worst nightmare. So having something to respond off of, if I have a great starting point, I love having that. So I know that I can go into the lounge and I can take some amazing stuff that you've put in there and use it as a starting point, tweak it to my own use, implement however much of it I'm ready for. And doesn't matter what I'm going in to look for, I can probably find a great starting point. That is exactly the way I designed it. Fantastic. You're doing a great job. So that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so that's amazing that that is the perception you have. That was the idea is we're together for the long haul. This is your reference library. You come and take what is relevant to you now and you leave the rest. It's not, I need to keep up with this. Like, oh, there's a new training every month and I have to follow it and do it. No, because we are not all on the same timeline and that feels overwhelming and makes you feel like you're behind and you're doing it wrong. And that is the last thing that I want anyone to feel. Early days when I first joined the lounge, that is how I felt. I felt like I was a little behind that I had to do all of the things. I was like, oh my God, there are so many resources in here and having all of those learnings at once. It was pretty overwhelming. But then I really liked what you had, I think, right in the beginning, the first couple of things you have us go through is like how to use it. And I watched that video and I was like, everything's okay. And I think I heard you talk about it a couple of other places, like the podcast and such too. And I was like, okay, fine. Everything's going to be okay. And thank you for watching the onboarding video. Whether you join my program or anyone's program, if they have a welcome slash onboarding video, please don't skip those. And I know a lot of people do, and I am guilty of skipping it too. But that is what sets the stage for everything after. So do yourself a favor and don't skip those things. So I ask everyone that comes on my podcast. So I would love to know what has been the biggest failure in your business so far. 
biggest one, I think it kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier. And I know you said that a lot of people do this and they don't know to capture information in the early days and continue talking to their customers via email, all that. But I feel like the fact that I got so far distracted into the pop-up world and like I completely neglected the e-commerce side of my business, I think that was something that I should have balanced out a little bit better. Like I should have taken some moments to take a step back and look at things from a bird's eye view. Because I feel like if I had done that, I would have had that realization and I would have gone and balanced my presence of pop-ups a little bit better with my efforts on the e-commerce side. Because I actually had a lot of people who would come back to me at pop-ups and be like, hey, oh yeah, I love this bracelet. I want to get one for my sister too. Do you have it online? And I'd have to tell them, oh, I don't because I haven't gone and take a picture. I haven't even thrown up a product description. It doesn't even exist as a listing with a price that you can check out on that I can send you a link to. Like that was what we were dealing with there. And so the fact that that was true, I think I missed out on not only a lot of great opportunities to capture some word of mouth referrals and things like that, but also to keep some customers in the loop with me who weren't going to come back to that market again every Saturday, who wanted to send something to their sister who lives two states away, that sort of thing. So I think some of the low effort things or low hanging fruits that I could have done, I just did it because I was so overwhelmed with everything else and not taking a step back to realize that that rebalancing was something I could do in that moment. We all fall into this trap. You are so in the weeds with your business and you're just too close. And we do need to take that time to step back and look at the big picture. And it's a freaking learning process for all of us over and over again. And there is no destination. It is just this over and over again, forever and ever. Welcome to entrepreneurship. All right. So on a more positive note, what has been your biggest success so far? Collaborating with customers on our product. I think that has been one of the most successful things that we have done. And we've done it from day one, which I look back and I'm quite proud of the fact that we did that because some of our best work has been in direct feedback with customers. Either they've come to us and been like, hey, I frequently have this issue with this other kind of jewelry I wear. And then that has sparked some ideation on our end to improve a product. Not a product of ours, but improve how this thing is done in jewelry at all. Or maybe we've made something and they've come back and told us that they used it in a way that we weren't expecting. We're like, that's amazing. Let us tell more people who have a similar use case about this. For example, we do like magnetic clasps on a lot of things like or like bracelets and anklets and necklaces as well, just because it's so easy to wear. And a lot of people don't like fiddling with the clasps or maybe they have like shoulder mobility issues or arthritis or something like that. It can be very fiddly to do the whole clasp thing. So it just makes it really easy. And we had a couple of people come by who were new mothers and they were like, I never able to wear necklaces and things because I'm worried that if my baby tugs on it, it's going to break or like if it breaks, there's going to be a lot of little small pieces and whatnot, choking hazards. And so just to avoid this sort of potential danger at all, I just don't wear necklaces. But that sucks because I love jewelry. So I'm like waiting for the next four years or whatever until this kid isn't going to be choking on <laughs> the small parts. So that just sucks. And I had a couple of people come by who got magnetic necklaces for different purpose because it was easy to wear. But they were like, this actually has a really great side effect because if my baby tugs on it, it just opens 
it doesn't break. There aren't like small pieces, whatnot. And that necklace is big enough that a kid's not going to swallow it. So I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. I'm personally not a mother. I don't have that use case turn up for me. So I'm like, that's so great that you were able to use it in that situation. So when I've had people come by who are really, really wanting something, but they're not getting it because they're new mothers and they're worried about the same sort of problem, I'm able to tell them, hey, if this is exactly what you're worried about, we have a solution for you if you're interested. And that never would have happened if we hadn't had some great conversations and collaborative work with our customers. That's the perfect example of what I talk about all the time. In your marketing, just use the words your customer is using to describe a product like yours, why they need a product like yours, what problem is it solving. And that way you can target your messaging to these different groups of people. But essentially your customer said to you, I have this problem and now you get to just reiterate that back to people. So good job. Love it. Aside from collecting email and not neglecting the e-commerce side, if you knew then what you know now when you were starting your business, is there anything else you would do differently? I think I would expose myself to more information about different sizes of businesses. I think early days, I lived for a long time under the impression that as someone who has never run a business before, doesn't have any immediate family who's run business, so I don't really have that sort of frame of reference that I've grown up around, anything like that, that I always had this thing in my head about what scale of it could be. How big could I possibly grow it? What's possible? And I think I mentally held myself back there a lot. I would be like, oh, maybe I have this big dream, but... How realistic is that, really? And I do a disservice to my own self by limiting the possibility in my head before I ever put even pen to paper or did actually anything. I didn't go out and put everything in the world and let the world tell me, hey, this is what's realistic. I just held my own self back in my head and maybe provided less value than I could have. And over time, I've gotten better at it because one of the biggest ways that I like to reframe things for myself is just by learning more information, read more books and consume just more information about different sizes of businesses, about different entrepreneurs doing different things in different ways at different scales. And let that open my eyes up to the possibilities. Like if I want this, it's possible for me to go out and get what I want. The only real denominator holding me back is me. So that realization, I wish that I'd had earlier, or maybe I'd done things like this habit that I formed now to read more about this, to start to break some of that. The good news is it's never too late and you're doing it now. What's interesting that that is the thing that is standing out for you is I have conversations with so many people all the time who they do have these big dreams and this vision of what it's going to look like. But when I talk to them about what having that business means from a more practical, logical, logistical standpoint, is that truly what you want your life to look like? They're like, I don't think so. I think I'm happy with my lifestyle business. So I will be on the edge of my seat waiting to see 
what you do and what happens. <laughs> I have had so many conversations with solo business owners and they might be at different stages of life, but they're similar stages of business as me. And we'll have conversations along those lines where either they'll be going through a similar realization that they were thinking smaller than they had to, or they're still thinking smaller. And that's something that I'll recognize that it's my past self kind of speaking over there. And so I know different things help different people, but I'll try to talk to them about it because I'm just like, I wish somebody talked to me about it. And I've noticed it personally to be prevalent in people who either maybe they're first generation business owners in their family. It is far more prevalent in women. A hundred percent. And in something like entrepreneurship, it can be a very lonely journey. And because it looks so different from the next entrepreneur over there, I can talk to you and our journeys will not look similar at all. And so we'll emphasize with each other about the general struggles that we both relate to, but our journeys don't match. And that's true for all of us out here. So it can be kind of lonely because you can't relate on that minute level, which is not true with a lot of careers. If somebody is working a job in a certain industry and you're talking to someone who's like a mentor or somebody further ahead that has years of experience under their belt than you do. There is similarity in those experiences in a way that isn't true for entrepreneurship. So it can really look like the path isn't mapped out in front of you. And so it can really just make you think smaller in like, oh, I don't know what I can do. Yeah, there are those guys out there building the big stuff. And then there's people doing stuff that is like smaller than what I want to do. But where are the examples for what I want to do? So when you go out in the world and those examples aren't obvious to you and they're not something that everyone is talking about, it can feel like either your dreams are unrealistic or it can be scary. It's like, am I the first person doing this? <laughs> like that can be really terrifying too. So I've noticed that in several friends of mine and we've tried to coach each other out of it. I mean, as much as I can talk to people I'm really close to in my family and friends, they don't get it in the same way that an entrepreneur doing the same thing and putting blood, sweat and tears into their business will. And it's funny because there will be people who things get busy in their business and maybe they don't make it to the live Q&As and they're like a little bit MIA from the community aspect. And then they come back and they're like, oh my God, I didn't realize how much I missed this part of it and how much I need to hear the struggles that other people are having to realize that I'm not the only one that's going through it. I'm recommitting. I'm putting these on my calendar. I will be here every month. It seems so insignificant sometimes because you're like, I'm going to be on this call for an hour, hour and a half, whatever it ends up being. But maybe I should be out there making a product or sending an email or posting on social, which I promise you, you'll get more value on the call than you will posting on social. 100%. <laughs> but we need to stop wearing this busy as a badge of honor and do less, but better and more of the right things. Absolutely. Just in the same way that taking a step back and taking a bird's eye view of your business can give you perspective, talking to other people can give you a lot of perspective too. It sparks those things in your mind that you can't do building alone in a void behind your screen. Absolutely. find. The people, 
There are so many of us out there. Someone has to make the first move. I talk about this all of the time. Someone has to be the one to reach out to the other person. That person is afraid to reach out to you too. So just be the one that goes first. And you just don't know what you're going to find on the other side. So it can be pretty amazing. Definitely. That whole like be a joiner mentality. And if you reach out to somebody like the worst thing they can say is I'm busy. I know. Fine. They're not the only person out here building something. (laughs) There's more. We promise. Before we go, please tell us what you have going on for the holidays. Do you have any cool sales we need to know about? Any new products? Tell us all the things. I have a really, really fantastic sale going on. We're doing early Black Friday this year and it's actually going on right now, but it's only available to people on our email list. Smart. I'll be telling people about its existence on Instagram and everything soon. But I have been talking about how we're going to have some crazy stuff in early Black Friday, which is running right now. So if you want in, go join our email list. So what I notice a lot is people are very particular about their jewelry preferences. You've got earrings people and those earrings people are agnostic about bracelets, but they love their earrings. And that we've got necklace people, we've got bracelet people. So I've got a little something going on where if you're into bracelets, you get a little extra something. If you're into anklets, you get a little extra something. We've got this offer going on where if you buy a necklace, you get a layering chain with it for free. If you get a pair of earrings, you get a pair of studs for free that you can make ear stacks with. If you are into bracelets and you get a bracelet, you get a layering bracelet for free with that. Same thing goes for anklets as well. So with these four things, we've got this going on and it's only until like the day of Black Friday. So it's going on right now. And so that you can have a little bit more of what you already love. I've seen a lot of other jewelry shops do things like buy whatever and we're going to give you this chain for free. I feel like it doesn't really take into consideration the fact that people have very different preferences, especially when it comes to something like jewelry. So we're trying to do that a little bit better and make sure that what you get extra is really in line with what you already like. So good. I love that so much. And I think of my own behavior with earrings. I don't actually have any in now because I ruined all my favorite studs. That's a story for another day. So I need to get them all replaced. But I just wore all studs. And that's it. They don't come out. I don't switch them. And that's just it. I have my stack of bracelets. I wear them all the time. It would be like the necklaces that I would change out. So I love that you are taking into consideration how personal jewelry is. So personal. And I mean, it comes back to what I was talking about earlier. I don't understand how an industry can be so unaware of the way that it's customers function. Like maybe it's obvious to me because I've been wearing jewelry for so many years and I love jewelry. So maybe that's why it's obvious to me because I was a consumer of it first before I was a maker of it. But I feel like the jewelry industry on a whole, it's like we're trying to sell a lot of stuff to people, but not really stopping and asking people how they use that product. So I think that's so important. That's what sets you apart from every other jewelry person. And like I always make the joke about so many e-commerce business owners that didn't know the power of email. And I was just mind blown. But you know what? It's the reason why I have a business. It's true. So I'm happy to be the one to just continue to shout it from the rooftops until every 
e-commerce business owner hears me. (laughs) Absolutely. It's so important. What's your website? I'm going to put links in the show notes, but go ahead and let people know. It's lucykitty.com. So Lucy as in Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, L-U-C-Y, and Kitty as in Kitty Cat, because our business is named after my cat, Lucy, who is my studio assistant. She would loaf next to me while I would make jewelry. So when I started the business, I named it after her. I love that. My cat loafs near me all day long, except for right now he's napping in the chair behind me. I think he's more like a dog than a cat, honestly. Lucy is the same way. But he's a darling when he's not mad at me for not paying enough attention to him. Having a little office studio assistant as a cat is just the best. Well, thank you so much again for coming, sharing your story. It's been really great chatting with you. I'm so excited to see what's next for you. Guys, go check out her jewelry. It's gorgeous. And as we have learned, better. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of the jewelry out there, which is super exciting, but all still really affordable, which is amazing. And thank you guys for hanging out with us. I know you could be anywhere on the internet. I appreciate that you are here with me every week. And I hope that you are enjoying this founder story series doubling up in your ears over the next couple of weeks. Have a kick-ass rest of your day, an amazing holiday season, and I'll see you on the flip side. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.